the things I want to mention is the life of our church before we dive into the message. Um, next Sunday, uh, really excited. Uh, how many in here, you're already in the Christmas spirit? Come on, you're, you're with me. You know, Thanksgiving is the pregame for the main game, right? Um, and, uh, but we, uh, we're diving into the Christmas spirit next Sunday, kicking off a brand new series called The Gift and unwrapping the greatest gift ever given to humanity, the gift of Jesus. And we're going to be unpacking uh, different gifts that he gives us through his life uh, starting next Sunday. Uh, so we'd love for you to be here. We'll carry that through uh, the end of the year. Hard to believe we're already coming upon 2022. Uh, but uh, we'd love to see you here for that next week. And the following Sunday, the 5th of December, uh, we have an outreach happening uh, right here. A uh, really cool aspect of this is it's happening right here at the Bethesda and right after service. Um, you can stuff stockings from Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless. If you go on our, it's in our newsletter, it's also on our uh, social media, uh, you'll see a link. You can register uh, in our website. You can register for this outreach. Uh, we'll be right after this service stuffing stockings for families who are in transitional housing or who are part of the centers at Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless. Uh, if you know you've been around at Catalyst Church, you know this. We believe we're not here to simply reside in a community, but bless a city. And that's what we're going to do uh, this Christmas. Come on, thank you for the overwhelming response from one person. Uh, but uh, no, it's going to be a great time. Then the following week, uh, December 12th, is our legacy offering that we take once a year. It's an above and beyond the tithe offering that we as a church take uh, that goes solely to vision initiatives, what we feel God's called us to. Uh, and if you've been coming the past several weeks, you know this. But uh, to recap, three major initiatives that we feel called to this next year uh, in 2022, number one is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. Uh, as we were singing about the power of the blood of Jesus, uh, we never want to get too distant to, to forget the power of the blood of Jesus. That Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life. He died a death that we should have died so we can have life. Isn't that good news? Uh, and, and we got to remind ourselves of the power of that and that there are people who are in our communities, who stream online, who may not have that same hope. And that's what we're here to do is spread the hope and the good news of Jesus. That's through our online streaming, through what we're doing here in Bethesda uh, and beyond. Uh, secondly is to develop and disciple all generations here at Catalyst Church. Uh, you know, last week I mentioned um, that we, the previous week we had the highest number of kids and students uh, in our kids and student ministry that we had had since we came back in in-person services in April. And guess what? Last Sunday, catch this, last Sunday, we had the same amount. Uh, so we are reaching more students and children than ever before. Come on. Uh, listen, I, I want to thank you to our Catalyst kids and student team. They are incredible. Uh, they, uh, we, we're, they're not just providing child care. They're doing children's ministry. Uh, I love that our kids are learning the Bible. They come home. They talk about what they're learning. And I'm so grateful, so, so grateful for our team. Um, and then lastly is to make a greater difference uh, in tangible ways throughout the Washington, D.C. area and beyond. You know, every year we've been existing as a church, we've increased our outreach in the community here locally. And that's a norm for us. We're going to keep blessing our community, keep finding ways. What needs does Montgomery County have? What needs does D.C. have? What needs do all aspects of Maryland, North Virginia, and D.C. have that we can serve as a church? Um, and then beyond, uh, partnering with our domestic and uh, international partners uh, on how we can bless and really be hands and feet of Jesus and serving needs that are had all over our community and the world. So that'll be December 12th. Uh, here's what we're asking. If you're part of the Catalyst family, you feel this is your home church, to pray and ask God how he would have for you to give. That's all we ask. Uh, because here's what we know. When you obey the voice of God in your life, that is what's most important. That you hear from him, you obey him, and strengthen that relationship between you and him, and then we'll see what he does through our generosity together. Uh, one last thing I'll make mention of, uh, many of you are probably heard, uh, as of uh, yesterday, Montgomery County has reinstated their indoor mask mandate, uh, so we are abiding by that, honoring our authority, honoring the Hilton Hotel as well here uh, with regards to the indoor mask mandate here at Montgomery County. Continue to be healthy as a church as we gather together. But we are in part four today of our Beyond series, and if you've missed any portions, uh, you can go back onto our website, uh, our YouTube channel, 
or our podcast to check any messages that you may have missed. And uh, I'm excited today to dive into today's scripture and our, our foundational passage out of Hebrews 11. And to give context, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It's men and women of, of faith that uh, did great things for God. They impacted eternity. They left a lasting legacy from Abraham and Sarah uh, to Esther to David. And it says this in verse 16 about them. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. Referring to the fact they were looking beyond this world. They weren't just living for the here and now. As James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in the book of James, this life is but a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We are living amidst the vapor. The majority of your life will be spent in eternity. And as a pastor, I have a responsibility, because the scriptures point to this, to not just give you pastoral guidance for the, for the here and now, although that is important, but also to prepare you for eternity, because one day we will all face, stand before God for two, there's two different judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, uh, which that will be for those who have confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll spend eternity in heaven. Uh, and just to be clear, hell is also a reality. And God desires for no one to be there, which is why we're going to keep reaching people with the good news of Jesus. Can I get amen? And the good news is that your, etern your eternal life has nothing to do with what you do besides believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the second judgment that all believers will face is called the, the judgment seat of Christ. And that's who will receive rewards. It's a reward-based judgment. You'll receive rewards in heaven based upon what you did here on earth. Your obedience to God's word, to his voice here on earth. So what you, how you live does matter not for how you'll sp where you'll spend eternity, but the rewards you'll have in eternity, which is why we need to be conscious of, of how we live today for the sake of eternity. So today I want to I look at a passage, and I've entitled today's message, The Good Steward, because Jesus uh, gives a teaching on how to really steward our life here on earth for the sake of eternity out of Matthew 25, and um, I think it'll give us some practical application for our life on how do we live today in light of tomorrow or in light of forever. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that you would speak uh, to us today. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture. Matthew 25, verse 14. To give context, uh, they were asking Jesus about the end of time. And here's what he says. Uh, It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once to put his money to work and gained five bags more. The one who had two bags of gold gained two more. The one who received one bag went, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, you've been trusting with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. Even faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags also came. He said, you entrust me with two bags. I've gained two more. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who received one bag came and said, master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew the harvest, where I would harvest, where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, has will be given more and they will have an abundance. For whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And we're done. All right. <laughs> um... This is known, uh, this translation is a New International Version, uses the term bags of gold. This is known as the parable of the talents, if you are familiar with that. Uh, the talent is one of the words that's used, that's the original Greek, is the, the proper translation in the English. It's actually where we get the word talent that we use today. When people talk about your talents, that's where we get the, it's from this Greek word used in this passage. And Jesus here is talking about stewardship. Uh, there was the two, first two men who, um, they stewarded what the master had entrusted to them well, and they received more. And the one, I like to say, he forgot it was the master who gave him the gold in the first place. 
and he played it safe. And he was called a wicked and lazy servant. He did not receive. He was, it was taken from him. And I think this gives us, in this, in this parable, Jesus teaches us a way to steward our life. And here's the first uh, point and application I want to give us, is that we have to discover and employ our God-given gifts and talents. See, it says here he had given them uh, each gold or a talent based on according to their own ability. So there were different peoples with different degrees of talents, much like in our culture today and in, in, in this room, there are different people with different talents. Uh, one of my good friends, Tyler, just led us in worship. That man can sing. Uh, we, I, I like when I'm here singing because I sing and I hear his voice through the speaker. So for a moment, I think it's me and I think, wow, I, I can sing well. And then I sing at home when there is no speakers and I sound horrible. And then I realized I gave that gift to some of my children when they sing. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Christina. Um, <laughs> come on, know your lane, right? <laughs> know your role. Know your gifting. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think that each person is given to the different ability. And here's what I want to say. I've said this different weeks. But God has given each of you, has deposited in each of us gifts, talents, abilities, empowered by his spirit. And we're going to get into called spiritual gifts that, that are a manifestation of God's grace through you. And here's what we got to remember is that we're each given it according. Uh, let me say this. We're each giving it specifically for us, meaning this. You will not be held responsible for what someone else has been gifted to do. You will not be held responsible before God for what somebody else has been called to do. And I think one of the ways that God actually limits our effectiveness for the kingdom of God, or not, not God, but one way is the enemy limits our effectiveness for the kingdom of God is he will get us to think that our gift is less significant than other people's. And he does this through comparison. Paul said this to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Don't worry, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as the other men who tell you how important they are. Come on, does anybody have a friend or family member in your life who tells you how important they are? Come on. I have many leather-bound books at home. Some of you got that joke. Many letters behind my name. I have an important office. Come see it. Uh, okay, we'll go, come back. Okay, spiritual. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. Come on, I love the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, he just kind of just tells you how it is. Like, one translation actually says to compare yourselves amongst yourselves is unwise. I think one of the ways the enemy connects the end limited your effectiveness is he will get you to look at somebody else's gifting, look at somebody else's calling, look at somebody else's race and say, I wish I had their gift. I wish I had their life. And here's the crazy thing. Catch this. That person, there's a likelihood they're looking at your life saying, I wish I had their life. The next thing you know, you're comparing yourselves amongst yourself, and you are being, in the words of Paul, not me, foolish. Now listen, I, I, I love social media. I'm not an anti-social media person. I mean, a lot of gifts in social media. But I think one of the unintended negative consequences, and it's increased our comparison to each other. Because we compare our everyday life to somebody else's highlight reel. In fact, research has come out now that's shown even amongst, like, teenagers and children that there's a correlation between use of social media and depression because we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. It's foolish and unwise because it will ultimately destroy you from the inside out. The next thing you know, we're comparing our own life to somebody else across the world who we don't even know. But we have access to their life now, <laughs> or at least the life they're projecting. And here, here's what I want to challenge us is not to minimize the way God's wired us and gifted us by looking to somebody else. Maybe for some of you, actually someone told me this a few weeks ago. He said, I deleted my Instagram app. He said, I, I just, I, I needed to pull, push myself away from that. I'm not saying that's the answer for everybody, but you got you to gotta catch yourself not comparing yourselves amongst yourselves. I remember some years ago, growing up in church, uh, they do a Christmas play. You know, the the, the, the kind of traditional Christmas story. And I remember all the boys, including myself, I wanted, wanted to be Joseph, and all the girls wanted to be Mary. Like, no one wanted to be a shepherd watching over the flock at night, right? But can I tell you, your boy was a shepherd watching over the flock at night many times. Your boy was also one of the wise men. 
But can I tell you what? I brought that myrrh down the aisle with some swag. I'm like, yeah, I got some myrrh. I'm a wise man. What you know about that frankincense? I got it. It's Jesus. Right? <laughs> How many of you know, though? Listen. At first, when you hear, like, I mean, I'm a wise man. What? I'm, he doesn't even have a name. <laughs> I want to be Joseph. I want to be the sinner. I want to be holding Jesus, comforting Mary. I want a wise man. But how many of you know there would be no Christmas narrative without the wise men? Because the wise men recognized Jesus was a king at birth. They were the ones who bought the gift. Can I tell you, don't be a wise man wishing you were Joseph because God called you to be a wise man and you were just as significant and important as the Josephs of the world. The, God will, God, or the enemy will make you think that somehow I'm less significant. Or on the flip side, like many in, in Corinth, he'll make you think you're somehow better than others because of how he's gifted you. And can I tell you, as Paul might say, don't think so highly of yourselves. To actually, because what was happening in Corinth, they were parading their gift amongst others, those who had certain gifts. Listen, we are not called to compare ourselves with each other. We are called to complement one another. Paul says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working. But in all of them, in the same everyone, it is the same God at work. All of these, verse 11, are at the work of one and same spirit and di distributes each to each one just as he determines. So Paul says different gifts, same spirit. Same body of Christ, different functions. In other words, all parts of the body are significant. And there are different gifts. If you're new to church and you're wondering what this gifts refers to, refers to spiritual gifts. There are spiritual gifts listed in the scriptures. Let me read some off to you. There are 24 listed here. There's a gift of administration apostleship, craftsmanship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, intercession, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, missionary, music, pastor, shepherd, prophecy, service, teaching, tongues, and wisdom. Now, and through our Next Steps process, you actually get a packet that explains all of these with biblical references. You take a spiritual gifts assessment to help you discover the unique gifts God's placed on the inside of you. Because God has placed gifts on the inside of each and every one of you. Same spirit, different gifts. And here's, I'll, I'll caution us too. Sometimes what can happen if we're not careful, we can actually, our gift can become our filter. And sometimes we can actually view other people. Maybe some of you have thought this before. You're gifted a certain way, and you don't realize you are a part of the body, not the head of the body. Because <laughs> the head is Christ, right? So you can have the gift of inter intercession and prayer, and you can think, because other people are not as passionate about prayer as you are, you can think somehow they are less holy than you are. Come on. Or you have the gift of mercy. And, man, you, you care for people well. Side note, just to free some people up because you're like, I'm not merciful at all. Mercy is my bottom gift next to craftsmanship. Um, some of you are judging me. Stop it, okay? It's part of the body. It's not my gift. It doesn't mean I should not. I, have to, I still have to grow in mercy. It doesn't excuse you. Yeah, side note, even if you're not gifted in that way, it doesn't mean you have permission to disobey God's word, all right? Mercy ain't my gift. I'm a jerk. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It means you got to work a little harder than other people, all right? Like, prayer ain't my gift. I'm not going to pray. No, you, you should talk to God. Um, but, but knowing your gift, if you're not careful, you can see through the filter of your gift. But you got to understand you're not comparing. We're complementing. We need each other. Can I tell you? That's why I love watching football because you have a left guard, right? A left guard is going to be 6'7", 350 pounds. What's his job? push another large man backwards, right? He doesn't compare his role to the running back who's 5'9 and 210, who's got quadriceps the size of that speaker and can run under people, right? They have different functions. The left guard's like, I push people back, you run under the people that I push back, right? Like, like they, 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 they complement each other in the same way the body of Christ. That's why I love being a part of a local church, and this is what God's called us to. The second Metaphor, most used metaphor in scripture for the church is the body of Christ behind the family of God. That's why we are a family, we're not just merely acquaintances. 
And we are a body, which means you have a part to play. Your part is significant. Every part of the body is important. I realized this recently because I hurt my foot, namely right near my pinky toe. And I'm going to be honest. I thought to myself, it's my pinky toe. It's the smallest toe. I could get by with four toes. I'm just going to lean to my big toe. He's bigger. I should be good. Nah, I wasn't good, okay? That, my whole foot started hurting. I was like, this stinking pinky toe, he's small but mighty, right? Can I tell you, there is no part of the body of Christ that's insignificant. No matter what your gift is, no matter what, what, how God's wired you and gifted you. That's why through Next Steps, we invite you to be a part of what we call our dream team. What that means is simply this. You exercise your part of the body of Christ because your spiritual gifts are primarily for the body of Christ. But there are applications beyond in your everyday life, in your relationships, in your workplace, which we're going to get to. In fact, Paul said this in, in verse 7. He kind of concludes by saying that, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's given for the good of other people. It's given to edify others. I'd like say it this way. You've been given a gift to be a gift to the world. I'll be honest. I am not the most administrative person. Anybody else with me? The last thing you want to do is stare at a spreadsheet. Come on. Only a few of you. Okay, I feel very intimidated right now. Thank you. I know it's scary. Um, how many of you, like, you love administration? Like, you just love spreadsheets. You eat spreadsheets for lunch. You wake up, you think about spreadsheets. You think the Bible should have been written in spreadsheets. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Listen, I love people with the gift of administration. Because, the, like, as a part of this local church, the, the admin team, and things would not be able to run and function without our admin team. Come on, our setup team, our production team, those who have the gift of craftsmanship. Like, our church wouldn't be able to function without those teams. In fact, those teams, you don't see them publicly on Sunday, but can I tell you, the ministry of the church would not be possible without them. So could we give it up for our setup team, our, our production team, our admin team? They're using their gift for others. But your gift is for the common good. Have you ever gone to a, a white elephant gift exchange? I'm going to ask you to confess something. Confess some sin right now. It's okay. We're in a safe place. We all love each other. There's no judgment. Judgment-free zone. It's like Planet Fitness, okay? Planet Fitness, spiritually. Um, and uh, <laughs> sorry, I started going down a different route of trail, but I wasn't going to go there. Um, have you ever bought a gift for a white elephant gift exchange with the hope that you got the gift that you bought. Anybody? <laughs> I have intentionally tried to rig. I have. True story. I'm like, I bought, I, I bought a good gift. I trust myself more than these other jokers, okay? I'm going to try to get that gift because that's a good gift. And listen, if we're not careful, we can think, man, God's gifted me with leadership. And we can forget that gift of leadership is to serve others. That gift of administration is to serve others. That gift of teaching to serve others. That, 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 the, all the gifts of God, it's to, for the sake of others. Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. You use your gifts to serve other people. You know, I love when I, we walk through our next steps process. This is one of the reasons I encourage you to go through next steps if you haven't. Because I love this. I remember our first year as a church, we used to actually do next steps in the same room. Like while our setup team was tearing down, we'd hold next steps. Some of you were part of that those days. And uh, I remember this one uh, woman came through, and she, her top gift was mercy. And she was like, she felt so affirmed because what she did vocationally was a nurse. How many of you want a merciful nurse? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Like, if a nurse walks in, is one of your uh, tough gifts mercy? Just checking before you. <laughs> then she serves on our kids' team. Well, you need mercy to deal with some toddlers. Come on, somebody. But she was so affirmed because she felt like, man, I'm gifted this way, and I'm seeing it play out both in my work and also here at church. I remember somebody came through. This is before we launched as a church. And we took all those on our launch team through spiritual gifts. And she came, and she was like, I don't think I have any kind of gifts to be able to for the church, and she came out, her administration was like her top gift. Well, she was an, she administ was an administrator for her job, and then she served on our, our admin team, one of our first members of our admin team, 
before we launched the church. She felt so affirmed because she's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that this gift, spiritual, a God actually equipped me to do this. Here, here's what we hope and we believe, that your design will help reveal your destiny, that how God's uniquely wired you and designed you. Come on, I've known for a long time now, I'm not supposed to work on spreadsheets. Come on. You got to know, like, what, what has God wired you and designed you? We want that for you so that when you, whatever God's called you to, you feel confident in who God's called you to be. Ephesians 4, Paul says this in verse 16. This is the amplified version. From him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by which every joint supplies. Joined and knitted firmly together refers to um, uh, unity. It's almost like two construction parts, two joints being connected together. That when they're connected together, they're stronger together. Or as we say here, catalysts, we're better together. And from him, the whole body referring to Christ, it says, by which every joint supplies, when each part's working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. In other words, Paul says, when the gift of craftsmanship and evangelism and exhortation and helps and, and knowledge and mercy and music and service work together, it matures the body. I want to be clear about this. As a church, a local church, it's the way God's designed it. We do not, we do not become spiritually mature when the pastor preaches well or the, the, the worship team sings well. We grow spiritually in an unselfish love when each part of the body does their work. Can I tell you why we encourage you to get involved and be a part of the body? It's because the maturity and growth of our church spiritually is contingent upon the body of Christ Doing their part, being in unison. I was thinking about this recently. My um, last Christmas, we gave our kids a Nintendo Switch, um, which was partially for our kids, partially for their dad. Because um, I kind of went back to old school playing Mario and all of those games. But my son and I, my daughter, we often play Mario Party together. Any Mario Party players? Come on. And uh, you play these little mini games. And so at the end of every game, and at first, we were like, we were like really, really bad at this. You have to like get a little like controller, and you actually can move your arm to like move the player. Um, and you like move your arms together, and you all high five. Anybody experienced this before? And, and and if they all high five, they're like, you know, you know, Mario and Luigi are like, yippee, you know, and you high five and jump up. And it, but if you if you if you don't do it together, they'll be like, oh. <laughs> So when we first started playing, like, we weren't like, we weren't very much in unison. So we kept being like, oh, oh, you know, it's like we were very bad at it. But now we've kind of got the, the, hint, the hint of it, of this excitement when you do it together. And Paul's saying, when we exercise our gifts together, we're better together. We help the church to grow spiritually together. I love what Helen Keller said, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. I want to invite you today. If you haven't come, come to next steps. Discover your gifts. Be a part of team and the body of Christ. Here's the second point. So discover your unique gifts and employ them. Number two is to depend on God and his word. It's intriguing the one man who had one talent and he, he had forgotten who actually gave him the talent and he didn't do what the master said he would do. So on a side note, part of the reason we, we are not obeying the word of God, a lot, a lot of times is because we've actually forgotten, we've lost sight of what God has actually given us. And we begin to not follow him and not trust him. He didn't trust his master. So he took the one talent, he buried it in the ground. One theologian I was reading commentary said, um, he, he, he sacrificed his purpose for the sake of safety and security. But he thought to himself, well, I'm afraid. What, ha what will happen if I do what the master tells me to do? What if he's not good? What if, he, what, what if this doesn't work out? I'm going I'm to hold on to it. I'm going I'm to keep a hold of it. It reminds me of Proverbs 25, or sorry, 29, 25 that says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know what the fear of man is in its original intent? The fear of man is when we seek other people's approval more than we seek God's approval. Or we fear being rejected by someone else more than we revere God. 
That's what it is, the fear of man. All of us are susceptible to it. Think about it. Have you ever made a decision to impress somebody else? Come on, you bought that shirt thinking you impressed someone at work. Or you, you did that, made that decision in hopes that your boss would notice. Or in, like, we all can fall susceptible to it to where we end up trying to give in to people's approval. And let me just say this. Do not expect things from people that you can only get from God. The reason perhaps that relationship failed is because you placed God-sized expectations on that person. The reason you're unhappy in your job because you're expecting from your boss what only God can give you. The reason your marriage is not in a great place because you're expecting your spouse to fill a need that only God in heaven can fulfill. Listen, I've seen many people make bad relationship decisions, bad workplace decisions, because they were looking for some sort of approval from someone else, and they were never intended to do that. That's why the fear of man is a snare. The word snare refers to a fishing lure. Any fishermen or fisherwomen in the house? You know, you throw out your lure, and that fish sees it, and you kind of hide the hook, right, with the worm. And they think, man, I'm about to have lunch. They chomp down, rips into their skin. Now you got yourself lunch. Come on. And that's what it says. It's, it's a lure. It looks appealing. Listen, the fear of man can sometimes, like, even you can make decisions out of the fear of man or the fear of approval or, the, or, or for a sense of safety and security. Listen, playing it safe can come across as wisdom. I'm not all of the time, but some of the time, it's actually just disobedience. We play it as like, man, I'm playing. I gotta play it safe. I got things I gotta take care of. I got I got bills to pay. Listen, are you trusting in your own ability or God? It's a question you have to ask yourself. See, the fear of man can play out when we don't do we, we don't when we don't do what we know is right because we're afraid of the repercussions. When we don't obey God's word or leading because we're afraid of what it will cost us. When we don't trust God in that relationship because we're afraid of being alone. That's what the fear of man can look like. We don't trust God in our finances because we're afraid of our standard of living decreasing. Or we're afraid of repercussions. We don't start that business. We don't write that book. We don't do that thing that God, you know that God is calling you to do. He's asked you to step out of the boat and onto the water, but you don't do it because you are afraid of failure. And here's the reality. I'm telling you this because I love you. That fear of man is a snare. It can become a cycle. And next thing you know, you're living a life that's not an obedience to God's word. You're missing out on the very best that he has for you. But it says whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Reminded me a few years ago, we were at a playground, and my youngest was around, I think she was like still one, maybe, maybe barely two. She was climbing up on these playground structures far for like five-year-olds. So she would climb up this structure, and she couldn't get down because her body was too small. And, and she was, like, looking around, and she'd see me as her dad. And I'd be like, hey, Abby, jump in my arms. And she would willingly, like, jump off that high structure in my arms because she trusted me. She knew she'd be safe. And then it became a game. She was, like, giggling. So she'd, like, climb up just to jump off. I'm like, okay, we got to calm down now. <laughs> but can I tell you, when you realize... When you obey God's word or you obey the leading of the spirit of God and you realize God's in it, you begin to enjoy the ride. <laughs> not saying it will be hard, not saying it will be sacrifice. You begin to enjoy, enjoy the process. William Grinnell says this, we fear men or women so much because we fear God so little. And to fear God means to trust God more than you trust people. You know, the, the other servants, the five and two bags, he says, well done, good and faithful. Faithful means that they had faith in their master. They trusted their master. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. You know, that word trust and lean are the exact same words. And here's what the Bible is saying is that, is that depend on God and his understanding, not on your own. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I, I fall into this. Maybe you do. Maybe not. Um, but, but 
I'm kind of de- I'm kind of half and half. I'm like, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you a little bit. Uh, but I'm gonna trust. I, I don't know, God. I don't know about this, God. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I think is best. Or I'm gonna. Anybody else? You ever struggle with that? You kind of go back and forth, and you end up trusting in your own wisdom. And listen, and I know in this room, man, so many of you are incredibly brilliant. You have many degrees. You're very successful. You're very smart. But can I just lovingly remind you, there was a God in heaven who gave you that brain. I know you're brilliant. You ain't that good. <laughs> I know you're smart and you're able, but you ain't that able. And we have to remember and say, God, even, I'm going to be transparent. Recently, God spoke something to Christine and I, and it, if, if it was my wisdom, I'd be like, nah. <laughs> but we're saying, okay, God, we're, we're going to, I don't say we get it right all the time. I miss it so many times. We're like, God, we are going to lean. Come on. It's like, you ever seen those, uh, it's like trust falls? Hopefully you didn't you have to do that for your work. That's kind of weird. It's like fall on your employ- your coworkers. It's like what, how is this helping us in our business? Um, anybody seen that? It's, it's on like TikTok and Instagram. Um, not that I look at social media. I just read the Bible. But what I heard the young children saying these days. Um, well, there's a, there's this guy. He's a rather larger man. I think it's Virginia State University. Have anybody seen this? He goes around and he randomly trust falls on people. And he's like probably 300 pounds. Therefore, no one ever catches him. And he almost, like, breaks people, <laughs> you know. And um, they think it's humorous. I don't find it funny. I think it's offensive. But, um, but that, that trust fall, here's the scripture saying. You can trust fall on the Lord. You can depend on God. He's faithful. When you're faithless, he still remains faithful. And you can trust God. Here's what it means to depend on God. It means that I don't wait until I agree with him to obey him. I, I don't wait until it makes sense to me to do what he's asking of me. I don't wait until I feel it to do it. I do it and I say, feelings, get in line. Because I'm not feeling. My God is not my feelings. We have a culture that emphasizes our feelings a lot. Listen, I'm a former psychologist. I think you need to have healthy emotional health. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about being a feeling-based person. Listen, Jesus Christ is our Savior, but he's also our Lord. And what Lord means says, you said it, I will do it. There's an old, like, saying, you know, God said it, you know, I'll, I'll do it. That settles it, something like that. Um, it's a little more complex than that. But the truth, the heart of it is correct. Saying, God, I'm going to trust you. It means, God, I don't feel like giving, but you're telling me to give. I'm going to give. God, God, it's really hard to maintain my sanctification and my holiness in this relationship, but I'm going to do it even though I don't feel it because you're worth it. I don't feel like forgiving that person who wronged me and keeps wronging me, but your word says to forgive 70 times 7. Therefore, even though I don't feel it, I will do it. Even though I don't feel like being kind to that coworker, God, in all honesty, he's kind of a jerk. Your word says to be kind, I'm going to do it. Even though it's hard for me to be self-controlled, your word says I should, so I'm going to do it. Sometimes you just have to do it before you feel it. You have to do it before you can comprehend it. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that seem irrational because your mind is finite and his is infinite. If you think, if you think you can understand everything that God is asking you to do, then your God is not the God. Because our God is infinite, not finite, which means you'll never fully comprehend everything God is asking you to do. But I'm telling you, what's the Bible say? He will make your path straight. He makes, he makes a way where there is no way. He makes a stream in the desert. I want a person who can make a stream in a desert and who can make a way where there is no way, making my path straight, not my wisdom, not someone else's wisdom, not culture's wisdom. I want the one who spoke the world into existence. I want the one who stood the test of time to be the one. So I want to fully trust Listen, I think the time, oh, please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not trying to be 
hard. I'm trying to lovingly be truthful. Let's just stop being wavering Christians. Fully trust in God. Depend on God, and he will make your way straight. He's worth it. He saved your life. He put breath in your lungs. He put that mind in your head. Trust him. What area of your life are you not trusting him in? Can I have, I speak on behalf of God in saying this. Trust him. Trust him. Depend on him. Stop overthinking it. I'm an overthinker. Stop it. (laughs) In love and trust him. And watch God do what only he can do. He's the God who he does exceedingly and abundantly and above all you could ever ask, think, or imagine. If God be for you, who could be against you? Nothing can ever separate you from his love. That is the God whom we serve, the God who rose man from the grave. That's our God. Trust him, church. Trust him. Oswald Chambers says, a remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. You'll fear your boss. You'll fear what your spouse is thinking. You'll fear the economy. Can I tell you, as a follower of Christ, we should be the most fearless people. When the economy's unstable, when the political world's unstable, that shouldn't shake us. Why? Because we're rooted in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we fully depend on it, regardless of what happens with the economy, regardless of what happens with this pandemic. Our trust is in God. So depend on God and his word. Here's the last point. Let's do good for God's glory. He said faithful servant, but he also said good servant. That word good means to be intrinsically good. Reminds me of what Paul wrote to young Timothy. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul says, don't neglect your gift. So develop your gift. God's given you gifts. Develop that. Invest in that. But he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Like commit to the public teaching of the word of God. Surrender yourself to the word of God. And I think it's important that we note this. And, and the gifts of the spirit are important. But more important than the gifts of the spirit, what God's more concerned about is the fruit of the spirit in your life. Not, not just are you growing in your gift, but are you growing in love, patience, gentleness, self-control. I've said this before, you want to do a a challenge, character check, ask those closest to you how you're doing at exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Say, hey, are you seeing this in my life? Not that we strive, but with the Spirit of God working in us, we allow Him to produce that fruit in us. But as much as you spend time developing your gift, develop your character even more so. Listen, your gift can take you places where your character may not be able to sustain you. Here's what can happen. If your character cannot sustain you, your gift will ultimately destroy you. We've all seen this, right? Both personally, maybe, and also in the news. Somebody who was incredibly gifted didn't have the integrity. That gift eventually sunk them. Whether it's unethical decisions, immorality, impropriety, it can take you place, but your character has to sustain you. Develop your character more than your gift. I want to give you just three simple thoughts how you can develop your character. This is the most important. Number one, submit to the scriptures daily. Here's a question I would ask yourself. When's the last time after reading the word of God or hearing a teaching like this one, did you change something about your life? That you didn't, because here's what happens if you've been walking with God for a while. You can come, even leave a message like this. That was a good word. That was great. And then nothing changed in your life. Or you can read a word and be like, oh, that was good. Nothing changed about the way you love your spouse, about how generous you live, about how kind you are, 
about how willing to forgive you are. Ask yourself, when's the last time the word of God changed me? Didn't just inspire me, changed me. Be accountable in Christian community. Have someone in your life who's not in, a, not in this like, you know, probation officer kind of way, but like in a, you're a probation officer, we love you. Um, just, yeah, not that. Uh, but holding you accountable to what God's called you to and, and loves you and supports you and prays for you. Then allow a leader to speak into your life. Our three overseers at the church do that for me. I have some other individuals who do that as well for me. Here's why. You have a blind side whether or not you realize it. And you need someone in your life who can point out the blind side and say, hey, how about this? And speak into your life. I'm telling you, it will it will. It will change your life if you have somebody in your life that you allow close enough to speak into your life. But then develop your gift. Spend time with whatever God's gifted you. Here are some questions you can ask yourself. Are you growing in the gift God has for you? Are you applying the gifts for God's glory? Are you using your gifts to serve the body of Christ? Develop, nurture, your character and your gifts. And then do good. Galatians 6 says this. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest. We do not give up. Therefore, as have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the family of believers. I don't know about you, but this scripture encourages me. Because Paul says, do not grow weary. Has anybody ever been weary of doing good? Like, you just got tired of forgiving. You got tired of serving your kids. Tired of maybe serving at church tired of overlooking an offense, tired of being kind to that person at work. You say, God, I know I'm supposed to be kind, but I want to tell them off in Jesus' name. <laughs> and Paul says, so, so to me it's comforting, because Paul's like, hey, you might get weary. Here's what I found, too. Some of you walking with God for a long time. You've probably been weary several times. And he says, don't get weary in doing good. And so, so then he says, at due time, you'll reap a harvest. And I want to speak this idea of harvest in a moment. But I think we've got to remind ourselves the importance of to keep doing good. By simply to keep forgiving, to keep being generous, to keep serving, to keep forgiving, to keep overlooking events, to keep being kind, to keep being self-controlled. Because you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I want to speak to this, because sometimes I think, and maybe you've heard these teachings, and, and my understanding of Scripture, I want to be clear about something. Because we can read this sometimes, and we can think, I know I have, we can think naturally. And if I keep doing the right thing, what I want will come to pass. A person will be healed. I'll, I'll, I'll get married. We'll get pregnant business will be successful and we can think that and that, that, that's actually an improper application of the scriptures it's not referring to a natural harvest here's the reality listen God may bless you with everything in your heart he might but if we look at the scriptures Paul's the end of Paul's life who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament books the end of his life was hard it was in prison he was killed for his faith. At the end of his life, he wasn't thinking, hashtag blessed. I sowed my whole life, and now I'm reaping all these blessings. I'm in the house I wanted. I got the job I wanted. I got the girl that I wanted. He was killed. But how many of you know Paul's harvest was spiritual? His harvest. And I've talked to Christians who get disappointed. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've been generous. I've been doing what God's. And this still hasn't happened. It might never happen. But can I tell you, he's still worthy of all of your praise and honor. He's still worthy of your obedience. He's still worthy of your love. He's still worthy of your worship. He's still worthy of your generosity. He's still worthy of your life if God never did anything else for you than what he's already done. Because your harvest is not on earth. It's eternity. 
Can I tell you, I believe Paul was rewarded nicely when he met King Jesus in heaven. He ended his life miserably. And can I tell you, do not look, do not look for this world to give you what only God can. Because I've even seen people walk away from the faith because they didn't get what they want. I said, God is on a genie in heaven. And if you rub him a certain amount of times, you'll get what you want. He's King Jesus. He's Lord of Lords. And I'll be rewarded in heaven for my obedience on earth. Let me also just encourage somebody. In the private matters of obedience that nobody else sees, God sees. God sees it. And he will reward you. Accordingly, the Bible says, Colossians 3, my final scripture. Paul writes this. M mind you, Paul writes this to a group of servants who will probably die a servant. They'll never be out of servitude. And he says this, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you'll know you'll receive an inheritance, not from your master, not from your spouse, from your boss, not from a church leader, not from another Christian, not from anybody, but the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When we do good for God, we will be rewarded by God. So I want to encourage someone because you've been faithful, you've gotten weary, and you've questioned whether I should keep doing good. You've questioned what I should keep being obedient, if I should keep being faithful. Can I tell you, you will be rewarded in heaven because God rewards accordingly. You may not see it here on earth, but you will in heaven. I close with a story. My daughter, it's one of her last soccer games this year, and um, she'd really been working hard this year. I was so proud of her on her defense, on her hustling, and her, her all of that. There's one game. The team came back in the final minutes and beat them. It was kind of heartbreaking. It was like, ah, oh, I hate those games because they were up most of the game. She came into the sidelines at the end of the game. She was so discouraged. She said, Dad, we lost. I said, Hannah, I'm so proud of you. I said, but look, I, I, I said, you, you were hustling. You played great defense. You supported your team. I'm proud of you. I said, Dad, but we lost. I said, Hannah. You cannot control the outcome of a game. You can't control what your teammates do. You can't control what the other team does. Say, Hannah, look at your dad. I am so proud of you. Can I tell you in the same way, listen, you can't control the outcome of your life here on earth. And the dreams in your heart may come to pass. They may not come to pass. But can I encourage you to posture your heart and your perspective to look towards your father in heaven? Because the Bible says he will reward Accordingly, So we steward our life here on earth for the sake of eternity. So discover the gifts he's given you. Employ them. Serve people. Depend on him and his word. Not on your own understanding. And do good. And develop your character. Develop your gift. And do good and expect to be rewarded by God.